All right, Shabbosei, good morning. Let us begin. Incredible, incredible dive ahead of us today. Begin by thanking our sponsors. To thank our Tamatora sponsors. Baruch Meir Arina Dubin. May Hashem continue to protect our brothers and sisters in Eretz Yisrael. May all our children remain safe and complete a year of learning with deep connection to the land and Hashem's Torah. To thank Naftali and Chavi Tilson of Eretz Yisrael. Gratitude to Naftali's Chaver. Benjamin Wall for introducing him to the Daf. May Hashem bless us all to finish the Daf Yomi cycle together and celebrate with the Sim together in Eretz Yisrael. Amen. We'll see with that. Let us begin. Very, very, very exciting uh, Gemara today. Really incredibly exciting Gemara. Top of Lamed Ches, 38. Both say we begin. Nikanor Naasin Nisim Ladatosov. So remember again, the Mishnah went through a variety of different people, a number of different people all who made certain changes and additions for the benefit of the base Hamikdash. So the Gemara says, now Nikanor, Nikanor, miracles were done for his doors. So both says, remember again, what's very exciting about this is that remember this entire time we've been focusing on a lot on Shar Nikanor, because Shar Nikanor is the one eastern gate. So remember again, this was the major point of entry from the Azara, from the courtyard, into the base Hamikdash itself, that one gate over here. You go up the 12 steps, you come into Ezra's Ragle Yisrael, or I should say Makom Ragle Yisrael, Drisas Ragle Yisrael, Makom Drisas Ragle Kohanim, as you saw in the Dapim over Yamtiv. So the Gemara says that there were miracles performed for the doors of Nikanor. So Tanarabana, Man Nisim Nasul Adatos of Amru. What were the miracles? Supposed to listen to this incredible Gemara. So listen to this. Nikanor had the doors fashioned in Alexandria. That's why they were fashioned. So obviously after they were made in Alexandria, they had to be transported from Egypt to Eretz Yisrael. We're going to be transported by boat. So what happens? So Nikanor went with them. So amazingly enough, so as he was coming back, so a huge swell. So there were waves that threatened to capsize the boat that Nicanor was on. So the sailors on the boat took one of the doors of Nicanor and threw them overboard because they felt that they had to change, that they had to um, lighten the load of the boat in order to avoid capsizing. So they threw it overboard. But still, the sea was raging. So they were about to throw the other door overboard. Listen to this. Amatu the karcha. Nikanor went over to the door and he threw his arms around the door. And he said to the sailors, Amrulahem, Hitiluni Ima. If you throw the door overboard, I go with it. I go with it. Miyad Nachayamizapo. Immediately afterwards, the sea calmed down. So on one hand, so let's say there's a whole, there's a whole mahalich in the Ben Yoyada, which we'll discuss about this. So Nikanor saw that obviously, again, he was happy one door was salvaged, but he was very sad. Remember, again, this is for the base Amikdash. So you have to ask yourself, what good is one door going to really do? Kevan, Shegil and Amalash Akko, when they came to the port of Akko, Listen to this. So when they arrived in the port of Akko, they found that the door which was cast overboard was actually bobbing underneath the boat. 
So they threw the door overboard, but the door remained with the boat the entire time. And when they got to Akko, they were able to retrieve the other door as well. So the Gemara says, V'yish omrim, bria beria shabiyam balasa, v'kiyasa layabasha. Others say that there was some large sea creature which had swallowed up the door and ultimately spit the door onto the shore. And about this episode, Shlomo HaMelech prophetically wrote, because obviously Shlomo HaMelech is before Nikanor, Kores, Koros, Batinu, Arazim, literally the beams of our home of the base of Mikdash, our cedar wood, Rehitenu, Berusim, the doors are of Cyprus. Al Tikri Berusim, rather Ella Brias Yam. So don't read it Berusim, rather Brias Yam, a sea creature which swallowed up the door made by Nikanor Lefichach. Therefore, Kalasharim Shay Bemikdash Nishtan Al Yoshal Zab. So we'll say we'll discuss this later on that at a certain point the base Hamikdash was there were modifications which were made, and one of the modifications was all of the doors were once again coded, or were coded, not once again, but were not coded. What's the word? Um, um, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, overlaid, overlaid, over, I'm sorry. Plated, plated thank you. Go, we're plated with gold. We're plated with gold. So the Gemara says, Chutz mishari nikanor, with the exception ultimately of shari nikanor. Why? Because everyone knew the miracle of nikanor's doors, and therefore they wanted to leave them as is, they did not replate them with gold. So the Gemara says, or they did not plate them with gold. Vish Omrim, others say there was a different reason they didn't plate them with gold, which was, because apparently it was this, this type of golden, gold-like copper, which had the appearance of gold already, therefore it didn't need to be plated with gold. Rabbi Lezer ben Yaakov Omer, Nechoshes klunaisa haisa v'haisa mi'ira kishal zav. Rabbi Lezer ben Yaakov says, was this other type, Nechoshes klunaisa, Rashi says, Muchzet mezukekes, a very refined copper, and ultimately again, it emanated the light, just as if it was gold. So Rabbi say, an incredible story. This is the story of Sharni Kanor. These are stories, and I both say, you know, the Ben, the ben Yehoyada has a whole mahalach on this, as I mentioned. And he said, what, what, what was the pshat? What was the pshat with this whole story? In other words, obviously, when you see a story like this and you see the storm, so the point over here is that the storm was somehow related to Shari Nikon, it was not related to these doors. This is very reminiscent of which story? Of, right? uh, of Yonah, right? Yeah, good, right, I know what you meant, right? right? Uh, of Yonah, right? So, so again, so, your mom is in a heavy mindset this morning. Right? So, so it's very reminiscent. Again, in many ways, first of all, the turbulent sea, something being thrown overboard to silence the sea, according to the second opinion, the sea creature. So I will say, so the Ben Yehoyada says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was giving Nikanor an opportunity to go ahead and show his Mesilas Nefesh. What was he willing to go ahead and engage in self-sacrifice for? And I will say, there's a very profound lesson, which is in life, you have to have something you're willing to go overboard for. Right? So what in life are you willing to go overboard for? What, what, what in life are you willing to wrap your hands around and say, no, if this goes I go at everybody, I mean, you have to believe in something. You have to believe in something. Although we believe in many things, there are certain things which are so near, certain things which are sober. I, I, it reminds me, I remember that um, my grandfather, Zuchron never told me this, but my mother, my mother, she should live and be well, mentioned this to me. She said that one of her early childhood memories 
was her was her father, my grandfather, Zichron Levracha, looking for change in between the the cushions on the couch or on the floor by the couch, because my grand my grandparents when they came here after the war, so my grandfather would get a job, and he refused to work on Shabbos. He refused to work on Shabbos. So, so the employers would tell him, if you don't come here on Shabbos, you don't have a job. And week after week, he would lose his job. Week after week. He had four young children, week after week, would lose his job. See, that's an example of throwing your arms around. And that's incredible, Messias. I don't know that to be hard to, to be faced with any sayon like that. Supporting your family versus Shabbos. But you see that the koach of the Jew is to throw your arms around something and to say, I'm not giving this up. I'm not giving this up. No matter what happens, I'll go overboard with it. So for Nikonor, it was the doors of the Beis HaMikdash. For Jews throughout the millennia, it was Shabbos. For all other mitzvahs, but the Shaila is, am I committed to something enough that I'll throw my arms around it and I'm willing to go overboard with it as well. Incredible Gemara. But let's say Mishnah. Mishnah, ve'elul g'nai. So we'll say, so it's interesting. Here's the contrast. In the last Mishnah, in the last Mishnah, so we learned about individuals who were remembered Litova, right? Zecher Tzadik Livracha. Well, we'll get to Zecher Tzadik Livracha and Naji in this Mishnah. But we learned about people who did great things, like Nikonar, like Ben Katin, others. Now the Mishnah is going to highlight people who unfortunately did not engage in the right behavior. And actually, we'll say what's great about this is a lot of Amadalif, what we're going to see, we actually just saw not so long ago in Masech HaShkalim. Incredible. So these are the people who are remembered in a more disparaging fashion. They were the bakers. They knew the secret to the Lechem HaPonim and yet they did not want to share it. They did not, they were in charge of the Ketoros. They were Kahanim. They did not want to go ahead and teach anyone about the secret of the Ketoras. Hogros ben Levi, this is interesting. Hogros, who was a Levi, he knew how to produce music with his fingers. Right? He would position his fingers in his mouth, and he knew how to produce beautiful melodic music. He did not want to go ahead and teach anyone this secret. Ben Kamsar, we're going to see Ben Kamsar was able to tie four quills to his fingers and simultaneously write four letters, four, four, four different letters. Right? So for example, Yud Ke Vav Ke, the name of Hashem, he was able to write it in one, in one movement. And he did not want to go ahead and teach anyone this trick. So the Gemara says, About the people mentioned in the previous Mishnah, Munvaz, Helenia Malka, Ben Katin, these people, Zechet Tzadik Livracha, the name or the, the memory of the righteous shall be for a blessing. Va'al ilu ne'amar v'shem rishoim yirkav. And about these individuals mentioned in our Mishnah, we apply the dictum in Mishlei, it's the same Pasuk. V'shem rishoim yirkav, the names of the wicked should rot. Now, we'll say, now right off the bat, that's strong. Right? Remember again, I just want to point out, the people mentioned here in the Mishnah didn't commit Averos. They didn't they didn't commit Averos. What didn't they do? They didn't share information. Which Rabose tells you an incredible Moser. I mean, we'll see their stories. Incredible Moser. Which is, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives you a koach, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives you a talent, He doesn't give it to you for you. 
Right? doesn't give us our abilities just for us. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives our abilities, us abilities, to be able to build up those around us. So if I go ahead and I take my kochos, and I keep them just for me, I take my kochos, and all I do is plow them inward, and I don't use them to build up those around me, the shame is Shoem Yerkov. The Mishnah calls such a person a Russia. We'll say so incredibly profound. Incredible. Turn around, on. Base Garmu, how you became my Salech Alpana. We'll say, here we go. Again, this is actually Chazor from Shkalim. Very exciting. So the Garmu family, they were in charge of the Lechem Aponim. But they did not want to teach anyone how to do it. Boss, remember again, the Lechem Aponim was incredibly unique in that it was essentially shaped like a box. So you had a bottom. You had narrow sides and then a narrow top and a hollow middle. So it was complicated to go ahead. First of all, we're going to see actually it wasn't complicated to bake lechem aponim. It was complicated to remove lechem aponim from the oven without breaking it. So the Gemara says, so the Garmu family didn't want to teach anyone. Well, the rabbis got fed up with them and decided, let's find, so let's outsource this. Let's get someone else. So so the Chachamim brought expert bakers from Alexandria. So these expert bakers from Alexandria, they were able to bake the bread, but they weren't able to remove the bread without breaking it. So it's interesting. The Garmu family they used to go ahead and heat the oven and bake inside of the oven. The Alexandrian craftsmen, they baked on the outside of the oven with the heat source outside of the oven as well. The problem was that the bread of the Alexandrian bakers went bad, it became moldy. But yet the bread of the Garmu family did not spoil. When the Chachamim saw that no one else was able to replicate the Lechem Hapanim of the Garmu family, they said, ah, oh, it's clear from here, whatever HaKadosh Baruch Hu created, he created for his covet. So they realized that, look, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave this wisdom to the Garmu family and didn't give it to anyone else, it's obviously the Ratzon Hashem that the Garmu family have it, and not other people. So we'll say, watch this. This is great. The Chazrebeis Garmu come on. So the rabbis once again reinstated the Garmu family back to their position of baking lechem upon him. Aye, but the Garmu family said, Shochan Chachamim v'lobo. So Chacham said to the Garmu family, we'd like to invite you back to the Beis Hamikdash to do your work. And the Garmu family said, no. So what happened? The Garmu family demanded contract renegotiation. Oh, you want this back? No problem. And both say they ended up settling for double their wage. Every day they took 12 mana. Then they doubled their wage to 24 mana. Alright, so Machlok is what their original wage was. Point is, they came back to work only after they renegotiated their contract for double the wage. So we'll say, after this, it's interesting. So the Chachamim said, tell me, Garmu family, why don't you want to teach anyone about the secret of the Lechem Aponim? So the Garmu family said, We know that the Beis Hamikdash is going to be destroyed. 
Shema Yilmod, this is Bayashini. Shema Yilmod, Shema Yilmod Adam Sheinam Ohogan. Perhaps someone who is, who is unworthy will learn the secret of Lechem Aponim. Ve'yelech v'yavod avodos kochavim v'kach. And he will come to go ahead and worship idolatry with it. So we'll say, what they were concerned about was that someone will use the process of the Lechem Haponim for Avod Zarah. Therefore, again, they felt the only way to prevent that was never divulge the secret of baking it. So the Gemara says, And regarding the following, we'll say, I just want to point out also, isn't it fascinating? Isn't it fascinating? That when did the rabbis have the conversation with Beis Garmu? When did they have the conversation? Only after on. So I'll say there's a very important lesson to be learned in here, which is, you see, Chazal took it for granted that Garmu had only selfish motivations for not going ahead and divulging the information. But it turns out they had good intentions. Now, Chazal still did not like their intentions, as we'll see in just a moment. But it's, some, it's so often in life it happens this way, where first you have the fallout and then you have the conversation. Wouldn't it be so much better in life to first have the conversation and potentially, potentially avoid the fallout? Incredible Yisod. And even though, again, Chazal faulted them for not divulging the secret recipe of the Lechem Aponim, there was something that Chazal felt was very praiseworthy about the Garmu family, which was... In the Garmu family, no one ever ate bread made from fine flour. So this is very beautiful. The Garmu family was Makbid. They never ate bread made from fine flour. Why? Because they were concerned that people might say, Oh, they're making the lechem upon him for themselves as well. So as to avoid any level of suspicion, they never ate fine flour bread. And the Gemara quotes the Pasuk of Yisem Nikim, which is an incredible Yisod. Because Yisem Nikim means like this. Sometimes we go through life and we say, I don't care what anyone thinks. As long as I know I'm doing the right thing, that's all that matters. And that is false. That, that's not correct. We do care what other people think, I mean, t- to a degree. But the idea is that my actions have to be able to stand on their own. The Yisim Nikiyim means that when someone looks at my actions, my goal is that my actions should speak for themselves. My actions shouldn't need a Rashi and the Tosis, and sometimes Yishonim and Achronim also. Right? But my actions should be self-explanatory, that they're good, that they're proper, that they're upright. So I will say, so I'll tell you something interesting about this. The Marsha, very quickly, because you mamish don't have time. But the Marsha comments on this Gemara. And the Marsha says, um, I'll just quote to you very quickly. The Marsha, let's see if I think I... So the Masha says like this, if you notice the progression of the Gemara, even after, even after the Garamu family gives their explanation for why they don't want to share the recipe, the rabbis are still not happy with them. Right? Remember again, so the Garamu family says, it's not that we're being territorial about this. We have a Masor, the base of English is going to be destroyed, and we don't want the recipe to fall into the hands of Ovdi Avodah So it's interesting that that, so the Marashah comments, he says, So he says, So he says, interestingly enough, you would have thought that after the Garmu family 
goes ahead and gives him the explanation. We don't want to share the recipe of Lechem upon him because the Beis Hamikdash is going to be destroyed. We don't want it to fall into the wrong hands. Yet, yet, they're still grouped together with, with this grouping in the Mishnah of Vishem Risha and Yerkov. So the Mashal says the rabbis didn't believe them. They did not believe that that was the motivation of Garmu family. They believed that the Garmu family did not divulge the information because at the end of the day, it was a monetary issue. They did not want, they, want, they wanted the monopoly. They wanted the monopoly. So even though they gave the reason, Chazal did not believe the reason. Bless you, Rabbi Soloveitchik comments on this Gemara and he says there's something else. He says the reason why, the reason why the reason doesn't redeem the behavior of the Garmu families, even if they were telling the truth, you cannot go ahead and live your life. That a Jew doesn't live with a hashkafa of impending doom. We don't live with that hashkafa. So there's no such thing as saying, well, we know for sure the Beit Samikdash is going to be destroyed. You know for sure? Nothing is for sure until it happens. So to go ahead and live life saying, we know the Beit Samikdash is going to be destroyed and therefore will not share the recipe, says the Rav, is not the proper hashkafas hachayim of a Jew. If you have a Masorah, there's going to be a destruction. There's only one thing you have to worry about. What can you do to change that? What can you do to change that? But to accept Chorban as a fait de complete, to accept Chorban as an immutable future, an unchangeable future, that is an unacceptable hashkafas hachayim. This goes back to the Gemara that says, a Misar from Davra Malak's family, Even if there is a sharp sword against your neck, You never stop asking Hashem for compassion. There is no such thing as a done deal until the circumstances unfold in an irreversible way. But until the Beis Hamikdash is destroyed, there is always the possibility to save it. And for you, Garmu family, to accept this fate to complete the base of is going to be destroyed, and to do nothing about it, that's Mishay Mishay Mirkov. That's Rishos. That's Rishos. We'll say, incredibly profound. So the Gemara goes right there. Turn around, Banan. Base of Avatinas. Next. Avatinas family. How you became my Saktoras. So the Avatinas family, they were experts in making of the Kitoras. And once again, they also did not want to share the secret recipe. So what happens? Once again, the rabbis went and they brought craftsmen, experts from Alexandria. So the Gemara says, So I'll say, so what happened? The craftsmen were able to recreate the recipe. What couldn't they recreate? In the Avatinas family, the smoke of the Kitores went up in a straight pillar. For the craft, for the, for these spicers, what would be the craft? We'll call it craftsmen. For the craftsmen, ultimately of Alexandria, they were able to recreate the mixture, but when the smoke went up, it dissipated. So what happened? So when the Chacham saw this, they realized, okay, we tried, we tried. Obviously, again, this is the Ratzon of Hashem, that it comes just from the Avatinas family. So they went to re-engage the Avatinas family. We'll say same story. The rabbi said to the Avatinas family, we'd like to reinstate you. Avatina's family would not show up. So what happens? They offer to double their wages and then Ubo. Then the base Avatina's family 
comes to work. Okay, so both sides, the same thing. Whatever their wage was, started out at 12, went to 24, started at 24, went to 48. Baruch Hashem, contract renegotiation, they were able to double their wages. Both sides, it's the same story. The dialogue happens after the fallout. So, so the Chazal said, tell us, why, why, why won't you share? Why won't you share the recipe? So the Gemara says, Amri Yodin Hayushal Beis Abba, Shebai is Asuli Kharif. Both say it's the same narrative. That Avatina is just like Garmu family. He said, we have a Masara from our father that the Beis Hamikdash is going to be destroyed. Shema Amru Shema Yilmot Adam Shena Mohugan, Viyelech Viyavod Avodas Kochavan Bekach. And we are scared. That if we divulge the recipe, someone will ultimately use it for idolatry. So that's again, and the Marsha, same thing. Not so, no one really, but the Chazal didn't seem to really believe them. Rabbi Salavechik, same idea, you can't live life with the hashkafa of impending doom. You must maintain optimistic and hopeful outlook until it, until it is no longer viable. However, there was something very good about the Avatinas family, which was, This is interesting. The women of the Avatinas family never wore perfume. And not only that, When the sons would marry a woman from another family, There was a tonight with the marriage that any woman who marries into the Avatina, something you have to agree never to wear perfume. Why? Because there was a concern, the Avatina's family was concerned that if the woman would wear perfume, people may accuse them of what? Of using the Ketoras for their own perfume purposes. Therefore, again, the Gemara says, Ultimately, again, this way again, this way again, they were their actions were beyond reproach. Incredible Tanya. One time I was walking. One time I found a descendant. I come came across a descendant of the Avatinas family. and I said to this young man, Your forefathers wanted to increase their own covet at the expense of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Their covet, this, this, this is the right to the Mershah, that the rabbis really did not believe their excuse. And at the end of the day, the reason the Avatinas family did not want to divulge the secret of the Ketoras was to be able to corner the market, to keep a monopoly. So Rabbi Shmuel says this, to this guy, your ancestors wanted to go ahead and maintain their own covet and and to diminish the covet of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Achshav covet HaMakom bimkomo but now your covet has been diminished because the base of was destroyed, but the Rebono Shal Olam's covet is still intact. The Jehovah also is a very powerful Yisod that although the absence of the base Hamikdash right, doesn't allow HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence to be felt in the same way, the ultimate covet of the Rebono Shal Olam is still intact. That ultimately, again, the world is still the domain of the Rebbe Shalom, even in the absence of the Beis HaMikdash. I'm Rabbi Akiva. But it's another story. Rabbi Akiva said, Pam Achas Sachli Rabbi Shmuel Ben Luga. So one time, Rabbi Shmuel Ben Luga told me the following story. Pam Achas Yatsasi Ani Ve'echa Mibnei Bnei Hem Masada. So Rabbi Shmuel said, one time, 
I went out to the field with one of the descendants of the Abatinas family. To go ahead and collect herbs. And I saw that this young man, he laughed and he cried. So said to this young man from the Abatinas family, tell me, why did you cry? Because I remembered the once, the once glorious you know, position of my family, right? I remember that once upon a time, my family had so much covered. Why did you laugh? And this young man said, because I know that the Ribbono Shal Olam will once again restore our family to its former glory. And Sir Abishal says to this young man, what is it that you saw that like jogged your memory in this way? So he said, I saw the spice or the herb called Ma'ala Ashan. There was a Ma'ala Ashan was the herb which was responsible for causing the smoke to go up in a straight pillar. So he said, and remember, that was the secret of the Ketoras. Because as you saw, the Alexandrian craftsmen were able to recreate the rest of the Ketoras. They were unable to get the smoke to go up in a straight pillar. So he said, I saw the Ma'ala Ashan, it reminded me. So Rabbi Shmuel says to this young man, he says, Hereyoli, can you show me? Can you show me which herb is the Ma'ala Ashan? So the young man said to Rabbi Shmuel, we took an oath that we would never divulge the identity of the Ma'ala Ashan plant to anyone. One time I came across an old man and there was a secret, uh, there was a spice scroll, a Torah scroll, which had the names of all of the spices, including Mala Ashan inside of it. And I said to him, And Rabbi, Shmo, Rabbi Yochanan said, I asked the old man, Where are you from? And the old man said, Me, I am a member of the Avatinas family. Tell me, What's in your heart? Well, what's in your heart? What's in your hand? Amarli Migilas Samemanim. It's a it's a scroll with all the spices. Hereoli, ultimately again, and Rabbi Yochanan said, "Show it to me." Amarli, the old man said, "When my family, the Avatina family, was alive, we took a shvur that we would never share it with anyone." However, Achshav Harehu Lecha. The old man says, Rabbi Yochum Anuri, I'm hereby giving over this scroll to you. It's yours. Lech, I'm sorry, the Zarba. Ultimately, again, be careful with it. So they all say, this is the moment of transition where a member of the Avatinas family gives over the spice scroll to Rabbi Yochum Anuri and trusts Rabbi Yochum Anuri with the secret and tells him to be careful with it. And when I, Rabbi Yochum Nuri says, when I came and I told over this episode before Rabbi Akiva, Amrali, me'ata aser l'saper son. From this point forward, we are not allowed to speak disparagingly about the Avatinas family. Why? Because effectively the Avatinas family has done tshuva. By handing over the spice scroll to Rabbi Yochum Nuri, sharing the secret of the Ketores, the family has effectively done true, which I will say is actually incredible, because what you see over here is sometimes one person could redeem the honor of an entire mishpacha, right? This old man, this old man gave over the secret of the guitar, Rabbi Yochum Benuri, thereby redeeming the entire mishpacha. So the Gemara says, Mikan Amra Ben Azai, 
Before you turn the page, look at Rashi. So first of all, before we go on, before we go on, it's interesting. It's also clear that the Avatinas family did Shuvah. How do we know that? Because remember, we still have a chamber that is named after them. So remember again, it's still called the Avatinas chamber, right? We saw that. We saw that. Remember again, that was uh, on your on your base Hamikdash map. So Nun Aleph, Nun Aleph is your Lishkas base Avatina. So over here, remember again, we saw before that's where the Kohen Gadol was going during the seven days of preparation to prepare for the guitars. The fact that the chamber still retained the family name is indicative of the fact that at least at some point in time, so they were redeemed. They were redeemed. Somehow they redeemed their name. So the Gemara ends off this section by saying as follows, Mikan Amr Ben Azai, look at Rashi. Based on this Ben Azai says, Here's something very interesting. You see from the two stories over here that Chazal wanted to go ahead and and kind of remove the Garmu family and the Avatinas family from their respective positions. But they were unable to do so. They were unable to do so. So Ben Azai says, what do you see from here? You see from here, Bishimcha Literally, again, with your name, they will call you. From your place, they will seat you. And from yours, they will give to you. Which Abbas Ibn Azai essentially is saying, whatever HaKadosh Baruch Hu has ordained for a person, that's what's going to happen. So Chazal wanted to dispossess Garmu family and Avatina's family. Yet, it's clear that HaKadosh Baruch Hu ordained that lecham upon him would only come from the Garmu family. And ultimately, again, Kitores would only come from the Avatinas family. Now, I will say, now, what, what Ben Azai is trying to highlight over here is a din in Parnasa. In fact, the last Rashi Alamid Chesam and Aleph says, Lo yidag Adam Lomar, Ploni Yekapeach Parnasasi, Kial Karchach, Bishem Yekarucha, Lava Volashub and Komcha. But so you see from here that Parnasa is ordained from the Ribbon Shalom. And whatever Hashem wants you to have, no one else could take from you. So Shabbat wanted Garmu family, Avatina's family, to have their Parnasa in this particular way. And even though, again, we imported craftsmen from Alexandria to do it better, nevertheless, ultimately, the Parnasa comes back to the house of Garmu, to the house of Avatina's. From here you learn... One person cannot take away something that is set aside for another. Just like one monarchy cannot overlap with another monarchy, even a hair's breadth. So we'll say a very profound Gemara, also just teaching us proper hashkafa when it comes to Parnasa. Because very often when it comes to Parnasa, we think that we're all fighting for the same slice of the pie. But it's actually not true. Not only are we not fighting for the same slice of the pie, we're not even fighting for the same pie. Right? Every person has their own pie. And again, HaKadosh Baruch Hu determines how much of that pie you're going to get. But even in general, this, this goes to the general concept of losachmod, of not coveting. Sometimes we see someone have something that we want, and we assume that because they have it, we can't have it. And ultimately, again, that's not the way that it works. You have what you're supposed to have, I have what I'm supposed to have. Your success does not come at the expense of mine, and mine does not come at the expense of yours. Whatever every Jew is supposed to have, that's the Rosh Baruch was mazmin them. And the truth is, our parnasos are not tied into each other. Our success, 
are not tied into one another. Kaddish Baruch Hu determines for each person individually what they are supposed to have. Incredible. Hogros ben Levi. Let's go weiter. So remember again, Hogros. Tanya. Kishu nos in kolo b'neima. When, when Hogros wanted to produce beautiful melodic sound, Machnis Godol Sochpev is interesting. He would stick his thumb in his mouth, Umaniach Etzbo'o Ben Hanimin, and his fingers in his mustache, Ad Shahayu Echav HaKohanim Nizrakim Bebas Lachareim. And he would produce such beautiful sound that it was like startling to the other Kohanim. Tarabanon, Ben Kamtsar Lo Ratsa, so again, once again, Hogros did not want to teach this to anyone else. So as a result, the Gemara calls him a Rasha. Tanabanan ben Kamsar lo ratza lelamid amai saksav. Ben Kamsar suddenly again was able to hold four quills and write four letters simultaneously. But he did not want to teach anyone about this. Amra lov sheinot al dalit kolmasin ben esbosov. He was able. He was able to hold four quills between his fingers. And therefore, if there was a four-letter word, he would be able to go ahead and write the word at once. They said to him, So they said to him, Tell me, why, why don't you teach people? Why can't you teach this skill to others? Suppose that all the earlier people had answers, right? So Avatinas had an answer, Garmo had an answer, but yet for these individuals, really both for Hogros as well as for as well as for Ben Kansar, they had no answer. There was no good reason why they couldn't teach this skill to someone else. For the earlier people, I've also mentioned in the previous Mishnah, Munbaz, Heleni, Ben Katin, these individuals, Val Ben Kamtser and I'm Ben Kamtser and his friends, which really just includes Hogros and others, Namar Vishem Rishoim Yerkav. It says the name of the wicked should rot. So I'll say, so remember again, according to the Marsha, even though, like we mentioned before, even though Garmu and Avatinas give reasons why they don't want to teach the secret of Mechmaponim and Kitores, at least according to the Marsha, the rabbis did not believe them. They did not believe they felt it was still motivated out of a personalistic selfishness, and therefore again was still governed by Shem Rishem Yerkav. Amr Belazar, Rakvivos Taleb Shmosan. What it means is that literally again, Rakvivos will say is rust. Rust should set upon their names, which means what? Delo Maskinon Bishmaihu. That people should not name their children after these individuals. So you shouldn't name your kid Garmu, or Avatinas, or Hogros. Or Ben Katzen, Ben Kamsar, excuse me, should not utilize these names. So the says, really? Masir Ravina, but yet there was a story about a child by the name of Doeg Ben Yosef. So I will say, so Doeg Ben Yosef, Shehenichu Aviv Ben Katan Limo. So it was one child named Doeg. Now I will say, now Doeg was a Russia. Who was Doeg? Doeg was the chief advisor of Shaul, right? Doeg wanted David Amelech killed. But what, the, what he was unsuccessful in that, but what he was successful in, is that he had ir, Nov Irakoanim eradicated. Right? Because of his Lashon Hara, the entire city of Nov, except for one person, was wiped out. So Doeg was a huge Russia. Yet the Gemara says, here's a story of someone who named his kid Doeg. Meaning, we just said before that Shem Rishayim Yerkov means you shouldn't name your kids after Rishayim. I just, I just want to point out, this is an interesting discussion in the post 
about what happens. Let's say some you want a person has a child and they want to name after a grandparent or some other relative. But Zralta was a really bad person, a really objectively bad person. So is there is there an Indian to Dafka not name after someone who was a Russia? So it's a discussion in the post game, but the Imagati called this Gimara that you see from Shem Rishem Yerkov means we don't name after Rishem. I, the Gemara said, one second, there was a kid by the name of Doig ben Yosef, Shenichu Aviv ben Katan Imo. So his father, his father left when he was a young boy. When he was a little boy, it's beautiful. His mother, his mother measured his growth, growth, and she would give the equivalent of his weight to the Beis Hamikdash in gold. When he would give the equivalent of his gold to the Beis Hamikdash. What happens? Because Oyev, when the when when the Romans overtook the Beis Hamikdash, or there could be Mikdash Rishon also, Tavachto va'achalto. There was such profound famine in the Beis Hamikdash that what happened? She slaughtered him and she ate him. So quotes this as a raya that you see. You just don't have means don't name after Rishayim. But here's someone who named his kid Doeg after Rasha. So you see that people do name their children after Rishayim. To which the Gemara says, this is the Raya, Chazi Maisalik Bey. Look what Nebuch, look what happened to this kid. So I'll say, if anything, this is a further proof, right? Look what, look, unfortunately, look what happened to this child. So therefore, again, this is another Raya that we do not name after a son. Incredible. Amr Belazar, Tzadik Me'atzmo, V'Rasha Me'chavera. Both an interesting Gemara. If you look at Rashi, Tzadik Me'atzmo, Al Yedei Maisam Niskolotova. A Tzadik, is remembered for the good based on his own actions. But a Rasha, interestingly enough, through association with other Rishaim, is known for his wickedness, even if he himself did not perpetrate the wickedness. What does this mean? The Gemara says, So the Tzadik is remembered from his own actions, because the Pasuk says the Tzadik is remembered for blessing. Yet the Rosh is often remembered for his wickedness through the association with other Rishayim. Rishayim Yaakov. It uses the plural. The name of the wicked, plural, will rot. Ravina said to one of the Rabbanim who was arranging Agarata in front of him, and he said as follows from where is this thing that the Rabbanon say, Zecher Tzadik Levracha, but say, where do we learn the concept of Zecher Tzadik Levracha? Where do we learn it from? Amar Lei, Dahak Siv, Zecher Tzadik Levracha. What do you mean, where do we learn it from? The Pasuk says, Zecher Tzadik Levracha. What do you mean, the car? No, no, remember again, Zecher Tzadik Levracha is a Pasuk from Mishle. From where do we learn biblically the concept of Zecher Tzadik Levracha? The Siv, because the Pasuk says, Remember again by stone. Hashem says, Should I should I go ahead and hide what I'm going to do in stone from Avram Avinu? Interesting. Hashem says, Should I hide from Avram what I'm going to do? And right after Hashem mentions Avram, the Pasik says, and Avram is going to become a great nation. See, see over here, Zechet Sadik, 
the moment that you go to mention the tzaddik's name, <coughs> levracha, you extol the qualities of the tzaddik as well. That's the biblical source. From where do you know the concept that the name of the wicked should rot? Because the Pasik says the name of the wicked should rot. To which the Gemara says, No, no, no. But from where do I know this concept? Because the Pasik says that they camped all the way until stone. We're talking about by Lot. So there's a mention of stone, and then right after we mention the stone, Uksiv. So we'll say, so once again, you see in the Torah, once there's a mention of stone, there's a mention of the wickedness of stone. So these are the biblical sources for these concepts. I remember those are, So we'll say this incredible. says, the tzaddik could live in between two rishayim, yet still maintain his personal piety. He doesn't learn from them. Yet the Rasha could go ahead and live between two tzaddikim and doesn't learn from their righteousness. The Jehovah says an incredible yisod in how people become set in their ways. And this could be being the tov, being the ra. It could be tov that the tzaddik can become set in his ways and therefore even if he lives amongst the rishayim, he does not learn from them. But unfortunately the opposite is true as well. The Rasha could become so set in his ways and even though he's living between tzaddikim, he does not learn from them. Tzaddik Darbin Shnei Rishon, Vloma Maseim, what's the example of a tzaddik who lives between two Rishon doesn't learn from their actions? Ovadia. We'll say that's Ovadia, the Navi who lived in the palace. He was, right, he was, he was part of the king's entourage and yet the king was an incredible Rasha, Achav, and Achav's wife, Izevel. Two incredible Rishon, yet Ovadia did not learn from their ways. Russia Darbin Shnei Tzaddikim Vloma Maseim. Similarly again, a Russia could live between two great people and he did not learn from them. Ze'esav. Esav grew up in the house of Yitzchak and Rivka. Yet, unfortunately, he did not learn from his parents. Amr Rebazar. Mibir chasen shal tzaddikim atalamit klala l'sharishayim umikilalasen sharishayim atalamit bracha l'sadikim. So it's an incredible yisod. Right? From the bracha of tzaddikim you could learn a curse for the rishayim and from the curse of the rishayim you could learn a bracha l'sadikim. How so? Mibir chasen shal tzaddikim atalamit klala l'sharishayim dichsiv ki adativ laman asher yitzaveh I know that this is Avinu. I know that Avram will instruct his sons to follow in my way. Uksiv Basrei Bayomar Hashem Zakas Stom Vaamora Kiraba. So right after Hashem discusses the brach of Avram, the contrast to stone becomes so apparent. And from the curse of the Rishayim, we learn the brach of Tzadikim Dichsev Vaan Sheis Dom Roim Vechatam LaHashem. It is worth it to create the world even for one tzaddik. But say the power of one good person, the power of one good individual, it's worth it to create an entire world for one tzaddik. But say, isn't how beautiful this is? Hashem saw that the light was good. And what's the light? Or what's the tov? Ve'in tov, el tzaddik. We'll say, what's the tov? The tov ultimately refers to the righteous person. Shnei emru tzaddik ki tov. 
ultimately again say that the tzaddik Zohar says such a beautiful gemara. You know, Kalish Baruch Hu doesn't need the entire world to be tzaddikim. He just needs one person to be a tzaddik. Now, but you know what the chap in life is? You can't rely on someone else to be that tzaddik. So I know that it's worth it to create the world. All the world needs is one righteous person. But I have to worry that maybe no one else is righteous. And therefore, again, I have to rise to that occasion. I have to try to become that righteous person for whom the entire world is worth it to be created. This is a very profound, very profound Gemara. If you go ahead, Now, what does this phrase mean? So we normally translate this as anyone who forgets a piece of his learning causes galus for his children. Listen, I want to point out something very interesting. The word mishacheach literally means causes oneself to forget, right? Because it could have just said which means if you forget, which would be a very scary gemara. Because I mean, if you ever forget, if you ever forget something you learn, you cause galus exile for your children. Let's say some of us forgot what we learned at the beginning of this year, right? Forget about, forget about again. So let's say, so what, what does that mean? Say for Mishacheach means that I care so little about what it is that I'm learning that ultimately I cause myself to forget. So let's say, you know, in life, in life, you don't forget the things that are important to you, right? No one forgets that I can't run a red light. Right? I, I know that. I, I might run the red light, but it's not because I forgot that I shouldn't run them. The things that are important, I retain. If I actively forget something, that's a sign of disregard. So if I forget my Torah, that's a sign that it's not so important to me. What does it mean that if a person forgets their Torah, they cause gullus for their children? We'll say, what's gullus? What's gullus? Gullus is, is disorientation, right? I'm disoriented. Right? Gullus, I normally hear, and I'm, 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 I'm uprooted this launch. A person who doesn't care enough to retain their Torah causes confusion for their children. Because ultimately, again, what kind of chinuch am I giving my child? How am I raising my child if I can't retain the Torah that I'm learning? Then what are the values which inform my child's rearing? What are the values which I'm using to shape my children? If I forget my Torah, I actively forget my Torah because I don't care enough to retain it, then ultimately I'm causing gullus, disorientation, and confusion for my children. We'll have to stop over here. We'll pick up Amir Tashem with this Gemara tomorrow. Incredible. Shkoyach.